Sports. Good morning, Doctor. Brought to you by Glen Eagles Hospital. We're on your side. It's about time to take charge of your health. The biggest stars. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. The biggest names in music. Oh, wow. Big names. Big songs. Big guests. Big prizes. Well, it's a big show. Big Show. Put your hands together for the one and only Glenn, Angel, FD, and Sean. That's what I'm talking about. 1FM 91.3. Good times, greatest hits. Good morning, Singapore, and welcome to Good Morning, Doctor. And this morning, we say good morning to Dr. Barry Tan, ear, nose, and throat surgeon from Glen Eagles Hospital. Good morning, Dr. Tan. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Glenn. Thank you for the invitation. Awesome to have you with us. Uh, we're talking about hearing loss this morning, uh, which is very close to our hearts. Because, what? What are you saying? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly my point. Um, uh, what are the more common types of hearing loss we see in Singapore today? Oh, FD, uh, the most common type of hearing loss that we will usually see in Singapore is that of uh, presbyacusis, which is old age hearing. But essentially, if you can classify hearing loss into two different types of patterns, I think it gives us a better understanding of how our ear functions mm. as well as how uh, malfunction can happen with hearing. Mm. So essentially, there are two types of hearing loss. Uh, there's conductive hearing loss which basically is a malfunction in the conduction mechanism of the transmission of the sound waves through the ear canal and the middle ear. And then there is another type of hearing loss, which is called sensory neuro hearing loss, which essentially affects the sensory organ, which is the cochlea, that means the hearing organ, or the transmission of the electrical signals through the hearing nerve called the cochlear nerve or in the brain. So essentially, if there's a malfunction in the cochlea, the hearing organ, or in the neural pathways, you get a sensory neural hearing loss. And what we discussed earlier, which was presbyacusis, which is old age degenerative hearing loss, happens as a result of degeneration in the hearing organ, which is the cochlea. The other common types, that, for example, of conductive hearing loss would be simple things like impacted wax. If you mm. can't uh, clear your wax and it gets all plugged up, then uh, it conducts, uh, it affects the transmission of the sound waves. If you've got fluid behind the eardrum in terms of an effusion, then basically the transmission of sound waves through the middle ear bones is also affected. And then you get conductive hearing loss. Mm. And other common causes that we sometimes see would be an idiopathic or a sudden sensory neural hearing loss where patients suddenly lose hearing in one side of the ear. Mm. And most times we think that that's due to a virus infection. Okay, I want to go to that, that, that whole wax you were talking about, impacted yeah. wax. Now, I grew up with, you want to get rid of wax, you use a Q-tip and you get it out. But on social media today, you see these videos of using a Q-tip, just forcing the wax. It actually just forces the wax deeper in and it doesn't actually get it up. How do we get rid of that wax? Thankfully, we're all designed with self-cleaning years uh, for the large or the vast majority of us. Uh, so to utilize any instruments in your ear canal is counterproductive because as you've mentioned, as you instrument your ears or introduce any cotton Q-tips, you not only uh, impact it by pushing with the head of the cotton Q-tip, 
even as you're trying to swirl the edges of the ear canal yeah. and uh, edge that uh, wax out, what you can't see is it's a blind procedure. So the ball of the Q-tip actually goes in and, and impacts a solid piece of wax further mm. in. Oh, what about those like uh, spoon-shaped uh, devices that you oh, use? Oh, those like, metal, yeah. the metal ones. Metal Are those devices. like good for you? Or you no. Generally, if, uh, you if you instrument your, your <laughs> ear canal, the problem is that you may accidentally traumatize the skin introduce bacteria, lead to infections, yeah. bleeding. And uh, oh, there have no. been really unfortunate anecdotes uh, where patients have actually lost their hearing through uh, incident, incidents and accidents. Like, for example, I had a patient uh, I saw in the clinic uh, some years back. And she came in and she told me that uh, she had lost her hearing when she was uh, a teenager. Mm. And what she was doing was uh, she was cleaning with one of those metal instruments and then her younger brother suddenly leapt onto her lap. Oh. And unfortunately, the whole instrument went oh. through. Ouch. And you can imagine the, the oh distinct no. trauma. Oh, my oh. goodness. You see, maybe that's why you have hearing problems, yeah. uh, Sean. Because you've been using that metal instrument I have. I, in your I ear. Spoon thing. Yeah, you I know, and, and FD, I mean, yours is, I think, kind of normal because yeah. it's old, old ASS. School. Not old school, old age. Well, old I, age hearing age. loss. Well, I think mine, which I think is more normal, right, than than some of the other conditions that you brought up just now, doctor. It's uh, it's accepted in uh, many circles that as you age, uh, there will be some degeneration. Mm. However, there are different degrees of hearing loss. Even with uh, age-related degeneration, mm. uh, we classify them into uh, mild, moderate, severe, and profound hearing loss. So most times, if you have hearing loss in the mild to slightly moderate range. Mm. Uh, you may not require hearing amplification or hearing aids, but when you move in greater severity, when the uh, hearing loss gets worse, of course, you will need some uh, added help with your hearing. Right. Now, wow. doctor, I also hear some people actually go to an ENT surgeon to remove the earwax. Although you were saying earlier on that we're all blessed with self-cleaning ears, uh, are there occasions where someone would need to go down to your clinic to get their their uh, earwax removed? Yes. So uh, what, what we often see in my clinic is that uh, patients have uh, recently gone for a swim. Their wax may have suddenly gotten more swollen. They feel the pain of the earwax. And so they present themselves to the ear, uh, ear, nose and throat clinic. Uh, the other common situation is where they generally feel that their wax has developed and is not emptying out and it is blocking their hearing. And they can perceive that. So in such situations, yes, uh, in the ENT clinic, we have direct visualization with microscopes and small microscopic instruments to be able to remove uh, the impacted wax in a safe manner because this is under direct visualization as compared to a blind self-administered instrumentation. Mm. I, see. I, I remember when I was really young, um, I, I, had a, I, I had a earache, I think it was. I can't remember the reason why I went down. And a doctor cleaned my ear up mm. and he used this thing that looked like a like a cake icing uh, massive syringe with water in it yes. and he, he <coughs> fired that into my ear and then everything do you still do that sort of thing? Uh, not in my clinic okay <laughs> <laughs> have you went to a TCM? <laughs> <is it>? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, sometimes administered in general practitioner yes. clinics yes. and uh, because uh, they don't have the facilities of a microscope uh, and these microscopic instruments uh, they administer this flushing or irrigation mm. to try to flush out uh, unfortunately, there are some uh, difficulties with that. Again, it is a fairly blind procedure. Uh, and when you flush water 
uh, into the ear canal, some of the wax may actually take up that water. And if it is not flushed out, it may actually cause more problems with swelling oh. and secondary infections. Yeah. So uh, for the large number of patients where the procedure is successful, it's very therapeutic. But unfortunately, we do see some patients also presenting to my clinic when uh, that procedure fails and causes problems. I see. Mm-hmm. You know, we're very lucky to have uh, Dr. Barry Tan, ear, nose and throat surgeon from Glen Eagles Hospital with us today because he's brought along a model of the ear canal, which we will see next on The Big Show TV. In the meantime, speaking of lucky, here's lucky Jason Mraz on 1FM 91.3. Actually, Doctor, it's really nice having you with us this morning, and you brought this model of the year, and for once I've seen a year that's actually bigger than mine. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's about the same size as Evie's, okay? (laughs) Oh, Doctor, I got one uh, more question about cleaning the ears. How about uh, ear candling? Okay. Is that a thing? Uh, I think it's more trending and trendy, yeah. uh, but it doesn't serve much of a function per se. Uh, ear candling, uh, unfortunately, doesn't uh, extract the wax uh, safely. Uh, and with the candles going into the ear canal, sometimes, of course, we uh, get accidents as well happening with the heat of the candles, with the trauma that uh, uh, develops after exposure to that hot wax as well. Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay, let's have a look yeah, yeah, at, the, yeah. at, the, yeah. at the model now, just to give people an idea of what the, the inside of the ear looks like. So if I can describe the structure of the ear, it's broken up into three parts. We've got the external auricle, which is what we usually see as the external ear that everyone perceives. It acts as a funnel and it transmits and collects the sound waves through a tunnel, which is otherwise known as the external ear canal. It ends at the eardrum, which is actually attached to the small middle ear bones. And it amplifies the vibrations of these sound waves through this series of three bones before it connects to the inner ear. And basically, when it connects to the inner ear, those vibrations uh, elicit uh, fluid waves within the inner ear. And these fluid waves then convert uh, that uh, acoustic energy or that sound waves uh, through a series of cellular movements. Uh, from a mechanical energy, which is vibration energy, mm. into electrical energy. So those Sweet. cells are called the inner ear hair cells and the outer ear hair cells. They're connected to these uh, nerves, which you can see uh, just here. And basically, these are the hearing nerves or the cochlear nerve, which collects those electrical signals, transmits it to the central nervous system, which is the brain. And essentially, you hear in your brain. So ultimately, Mm. we do all hear in the brain. But there's a complex mechanism of transferring that whole series of vibrations into electrical energy. Mm. So doctor, for someone who's using a hearing aid, how does it... Okay, usually it's it's latched on to the top of the ear. And how is it connected to... uh, how, How does it help a person hear better? So it has a speaker which is delivered through a small little tube that then presents itself within the ear canal. And you can think of it as just being very close to one of your speakers uh, that amplifies sound. That's essentially a miniaturized speaker in your ear. I see. So if you have hearing loss, all you need to do is present sound at a louder threshold or a louder sound intensity than your minimum threshold of hearing, then you would be able to hear. So the normal hearing threshold in terms of sound intensity is measured in decibels and it's at 20 decibels. Okay. 20 decibels is the normal population hearing threshold. 
If you have hearing loss that is significant, usually it would be in a region of about 40 to 50 decibels hearing loss because that's the normal intensity of our conversational voice. Ah, So if you have a hearing threshold that nears that normal conversational voice, what we sometimes uh, have uh, have, uh, ease with regards to communications is difficult for someone with a hearing loss because they're hearing essentially a whisper. Mm -hmm. And so they'll ask for repeats and they'll be asking you to speak louder. And Mm. that whole mechanism of speaking louder is basically what the hearing aid uh, uh, tries to achieve. It doesn't require the environment to get louder. It Mm. doesn't require the speaker to get louder. It does that all automatically and instantaneously. There's no lag. It immediately amplifies the sound through the ear canal and it then uh, transmits the same uh, vibrations through this uh, acoustic pathway. Right. You know, back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, right? Uh, Old age uh, um, hearing loss. Stop yes. looking How at me when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because even my father-in-law, he's uh, seventy-five. He yes. he just started using uh, uh, hearing, hearing aid. Hearing aid. So, what can our senior citizens do to prevent old age uh, hearing loss? Unfortunately, not much we can do to okay. prevent uh, what is actually a very natural process of mm. age-related degeneration. Uh, our inner ear hair cells and outer ear hair cells, uh, they are vulnerable to uh, wear and tear over many, many years. Uh, there are some who would consider, for example, taking some neurovitamins, uh, not exposing their ears to loud noises. Mm. Uh, and that's basically just a supportive therapy and supportive prevention. But essentially, as we age, it is quite natural for uh, our joints to get a little bit worn out, our ears to start uh, having a little bit of that degeneration and not to hear well. Mm, yeah. So what we can do is to detect it early. Yeah. When we detect it early, then we can institute either simple uh, solutions like uh, wearing hearing amplification aids, mm. or if it develops uh, fairly quickly, we can, we can catch that rapid development and then we can work uh, with our seniors, our parents and so on to get them the correct hearing solutions. Yeah, I have a feeling if you go to 10 Guns and Roses concerts, you'll probably lose your hearing. Yeah. Okay, well, that's quite interesting because we've got a question on our Facebook page which I think is quite interesting. A lot of young parents these days with little children, uh, when they go into an area that has high sound levels, they put headphones over their children's Yamas. ears, right? Uh, to 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 suppress that sound. Uh, does that? How do I say it? Does that limit the conditioning of the ear as the child grows up? Doesn't the child want? Doesn't the ear need to be conditioned to lo- louder sounds? Uh, yes, it does. Uh, we all learn through uh, hearing. Yeah. In fact, speech and language is essentially a, a product of mimicry. We, yeah. we we hear, and therefore we mimic what we hear, and then we speak it. So uh, for children growing up, we, wa- we want to give them that, that auditory stimulation. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's not necessary really to uh, dampen that auditory stimulation if it is not excessively loud. Mm. Uh, we do have innate uh, mechanisms to protect against sudden exposures to loud sounds. There is a small tiny muscle in the ear which tenses the eardrum as well as the third middle ear bone. Uh, which prevents the transmission of the sound uh, waves from being excessive when there's a sudden exposure. So all those are reflexes which can happen for babies, for us mm. uh, normal individuals. We don't have to be too worried. The, the worry that we're talking about is noise-induced deafness or noise-exposed uh, hearing loss. Mm-hmm. And that's a function of intensity of sound and duration of exposure. Yeah. So the louder the intensity, 
the longer the duration, the worse the, the impact worse. on the year. Mm. And uh, our usual uh, recommendation is not to be exposed to loud sounds louder than 70 decibels for more than eight hours a day. Oh, wow. That's 70, o- wow. o- occupational exposure. Mm. And that's why many industries which have uh, loud factory workspaces uh, or if you're working really uh, in the concert industry where you're exposed yeah. to all these, you should wear either hearing protection with earmuffs mm-hmm. or with uh, earplugs. Earplugs, earplugs, whatever is more suitable for that work environment. Yeah. Mm. For example, I mean, if you're at an F1 race, that's right? so loud. I mean, yeah. these yes. days it's um, it's it's muted a little bit, right? But uh, back in the day, it was very very, very loud. loud. Very you know, loud. when we were first introduced to uh, Formula One, yeah. so everyone like, was wearing um, earplugs. Yeah, doctor, you said seventy decibels is uh, harmful for you. Yes. Like when we do uh, classes or when we do like concerts, it's like 100, 1900 yes. already. That's mm. that's very intense. Wow. That's very loud. If your wife is shouting at you, that's about 70. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I shout at <laughs> Okay, we're going, we're going on back on, on the radio. Stand by in three, two. What a great track from Firehouse. Haven't heard this one in a while. When I look into your eyes on The Big Show and The Big Show TV, our guest for this morning, because it's a Wednesday morning, uh, it's Dr. Barry Tan with us, ear, nose and throat surgeon from Glen Eagles Hospital. Once again, uh, Dr. Tan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time off uh, to be with us today. Thank you again. And uh, my next question, because we're talking about hearing loss this morning, is uh, what are the symptoms of hearing loss and are there any warning signs, Dr.? Hearing loss uh, is actually an invisible disease. You don't actually see it in a patient. Mm. You can't can't see a rash. You can't actually see a patient is jaundiced. Uh, What you can observe, though, is his behaviours. And so you can notice that a patient may be suffering from hearing loss by seeing how he interacts with the people around him. Number one, if he has profound hearing loss, in all likelihood, he is likely to be socially withdrawn. He's not even communicating with his environment and with his uh, friends and his family. Mm. Then when you have very mild hearing loss to moderate hearing loss, usually you walk into the room and you realize that, strange, your father may be actually turning up the TV volume to a very loud volume. Right. And it sounds excessively loud to you. But to him, it's a very comfortable level. Mm. Another early warning sign would be, for example, if they ask for frequent repeats when you are speaking at a fairly close distance to him. And you, what you perceive as a very normal conversational voice to him is actually a whisper. So you can notice these things when you interact with the patients mm. or with uh, the people with hearing loss. It's not something that is visible to them, uh, yeah. to, to us, but it's something which you can easily pick up as you interact with them. Yeah. Really feel for them because, I mean, it will affect their quality of life. It would. And in fact, it's the largest modifiable factor for uh, dementia prevention. Uh, Many patients nowadays, uh, we realize that uh, as they age and they develop age-related degenerative hearing loss, uh, they get socially withdrawn because they can't communicate well with the people that are meaningful to them. And when that affects them, they change their behaviours such that they become socially withdrawn, Mm. they don't uh, bother to listen to the television or the radio, and uh, their mental engagement starts to recede. And so that has very negative downstream consequences over a long period of time. And uh, you can imagine that dementia, which actually is a mental slowing of your central nervous system uh, and your cognition, 
can develop when you don't have that uh, engagement and that stimulation. Oh dear. So how how do we then treat this? Okay, there's the hearing aid, but but are there other ways of treating hearing loss? Is there surgery? Is there what can we do? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, it depends really on the type of hearing loss that you have. Uh, when I mentioned at the beginning of today's uh, show that there's two main types mm. of hearing loss, there are solutions uh, which can address each type of hearing loss. So, for example, we were talking about conductive hearing loss. The most common types would be impacted wax, uh, acute uh, filling up of the ear behind the eardrum with fluid. Those can be drained and can be cleared uh, surgically or in mm-hmm. the clinic with simple procedures. But there are other conditions which are a little bit more uh, sinister, which develops slowly with time. Uh, there is a condition called cholecystoma, which is basically a skin growth, which starts to erode away the bones of the uh, outer ear as the middle ear. Oh, wow. mm. And these would be surgically correctable. Okay. Uh, we would have to do a surgery to clear that disease. And then whatever has been eroded in terms of the middle ear, the connection has been lost. We've got tiny uh, prostheses uh, that we can insert to reconnect the entire hearing pathway so that at least the vibration pathway can Mm. be reconstituted Mm. and then you can restore the hearing. But bear in mind, really, these tiny hearing bones that we have in the ear, Mm. they're really the smallest bones in the entire body. They measure less than one centimeter in size. Oh, wow. So many times that we do have to insert uh, prosthesis, they are less than one centimeter in size, oftentimes just five millimeters or less. That's crazy oh, wow. small. It's really tiny. Yeah. So in order for us to be able to do that, nowadays we've got multiple newer techniques of surgery like endoscopic ear surgery where we magnify the, the visualization of the space that we need to work in. And we are able to insert these really tiny prostheses just to restore the hearing mechanism. So surgically correctable diseases usually apply to conductive uh, hearing loss. Mm. Uh, There's another uh, particular condition called otosclerosis. The third middle ear bone is essentially like cemented to the inner ear. It cannot vibrate. It's a fairly common condition. Ah. And we basically replace that with uh, a new prosthesis. I see. All right. Uh, We'll continue to talk to Dr. Barry Tan on The Big Show TV. I've got a few questions with regard to family. Because uh, I've noticed this, uh, some of my friends, uh, in fact, some family members as well, you know, they tend to, to start to feel a little impatient. Because, you know, you talk to that family member who's, who's losing his or her hearing and uh, they don't respond immediately. And, you know, as time goes by, everyone gets a little bit irritated. So how can we, you know, be more patient? How can we work around this? We'll talk mm. a, a little bit more about this on The Big Show TV with Dr. Barry Tan. Meantime, here's Neon Trees, Animal on 1FM 91.3. Okay. Now, Dr. Tan, don't you think it, it once it comes to that, right, uh, as I mentioned, because I, you know, I can tell sometimes family members, they get a little upset with their dad because, you know, he can't hear and they have to repeat uh, 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 themselves. Um, do you think a, a person who's losing his hearing should communicate a little bit more with the family? Because let's say he's losing hearing in his right ear, right? Shouldn't he be more open by just telling everyone, okay, look, my hearing's not good on this side, okay? If you need to, to, to tell me something, come to my left side. Problem is, many people don't do that, mm. you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I, th- I think sometimes it, you know, it, it takes its toll, you know, on, on the family members. Uh, I, yeah. 
I think everyone has their social comfort uh, zones and oftentimes in our very traditional Asian society, uh, they don't want to show that mm. they are impaired in any way. Right. So there is a bit of that reticence. Uh, secondly, being able to communicate and change your environment around you, oftentimes some people would feel that it imposes uh, difficulties and inconveniences to the people around them and so they prefer to suffer in silence. Right. So that's uh, unfortunate and it's something which I agree with you if we were in a different society, if we were having a different mindset, we should be much more open about yeah. our own disabilities and then we should take a responsibility for that and then seek the necessary solutions. Yeah. But the good thing is that many of the patients are being brought into my clinic by their family who okay. are expressing that frustration. Ah, ah. Okay. So they say, Dad, we got to do something. You know, yeah. I, I notice it, you don't notice it, but trust me, you have a problem. Yeah. Let's go see the doctor. You know? And so yeah. they come into my clinic Sometimes they are a little bit uh, quiet at the beginning. They don't want to engage in that uh, consultation process. Mm. But as we run through the whole uh, uh, session, as we talk a little bit more, then they display and they express some of their own internal frustrations with their hearing loss and they, they become a lot more open. Yeah. So I think it's that first taking that first step which is important. Mm. Whether it's uh, an individual being proactive and taking that first step himself or whether he has a supportive uh, family around him that encourages him to come to the seek medical attention. Yeah. I think both ways work. Yeah. We've got a lot of questions on our Facebook page about one particular uh, condition. Anthony says his wife is a patient of yours. You have treated her for vertigo. And vertigo is coming up on our Facebook page a lot. Yes. What is vertigo? How is, how is it? What causes it? What hearing? do you do about it? Yeah, even our boss has uh, vertigo, actually. Right? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. 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 As you mentioned. Yes. It's a it's more a and more people are getting that now, doctor. Uh, I would say it's becoming more, uh, we are more aware of uh, vertigo being prevalent in our society. Vertigo is basically a sensation of uh, uh, movement and oftentimes described as a spinning sensation uh, when, in fact, you are steady. So it happens spontaneously sometimes and many people think that it's associated uh, with the ENTs and it is rightly so. There are a large number of ENT causes for vertigo and that's simply because uh, innately our inner, inner ear is comprised of two separate components and the fluid chambers all interact with each other. It's the hearing component which is uh, determined by the cochlea and the balance component, which is de uh, determined by an organ called the vestibular organ. And these two are like twin brothers in a way. They are two parts of the same inner ear. And so when you have diseases sometimes of the hearing, you may also have diseases which manifest with vertigo. And so that's why vertigo oftentimes is one of the things that we ask for in our history, whether they have that associated symptom. Mm. Yeah. Oh. How does one treat vertigo then? Oh, there are many different... Spin the other way around. No. <laughs> Sean, I'm just thinking out loud. It depends on the cause. Uh, so the most common cause of vertigo is something called benign positional paroxysmal vertigo. Uh, there are actually these tiny little crystals which are normal and found within a certain chamber of the vestibular organ, uh, the balanced organ. Mm. But they sometimes find their way, they float out due to abnormal head positions into an, a different chamber. And every time you move, it, those crystals move along with you. If you think about it, your, your balance organ is like the gyroscope of your head. Mm. Ah. So every time you change your head position, you are able to maintain it because you've got an internal gyroscope that works. I see. But ah. for these crystals, when you turn, those crystals 
interfere with your gyroscope by stimulating your gyroscope and causing you to spin uh, in a different way. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a, it's a very complicated organ. It is. It is a very complicated organ. Yeah. So, doctor, speaking yes. about spinning, um, ear hair. <laughs> Ear hair. Ear hair, yeah. Hair in the ear. In the ear. Does that affect uh, hearing loss? Like, I know people say that you should uh, trim it or cut it, and there's like little shavers out there that you can use to... To trim the hair to in trim. Your ear. So, will that help? Uh, no, it doesn't, because it's part of the external ear canal, and oftentimes, the problem with ear hair, unless it's truly excessive, uh, it doesn't cause blockage uh, to your earwax. The main implication is to your earwax. It just can't fall out. Uh, yeah. Do you I have... Do you have I have like one or two ear. strands that like sometimes pop out and then because he's a hairy guy, he usually has a beard. You know? I see. Yeah, but yeah, these yeah. days, he, he, he yeah. doesn't. I mean, I think I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm you know, I don't have much hair. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. When That's I grow right. up, I wanna be like you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're we're getting a lot of of of, of uh, feedback on our Facebook page. Another thing that someone is asking about Aloysius, I've never heard about this in my life. Okay. Uh, he says, I have a question about open-ear Bluetooth bone-conducting headphones. How does it compare to normal earphones? Is it less harmful to the ear? Mm. They, they, uh, uh, this is a new uh, subset of headphones. Yes. Yeah. And basically, you see them in the cyclists. And they need to be able to get environmental input uh, stimulus. So as they're cycling, they shouldn't be using earbuds uh, to block out sound, mm. especially the noise-cancelling ones. So Aloysius mentions a very uh, good type of uh, hearing uh, device or rather listening device uh, for that, which is a bone-conducting headphone. And what it does is that it vibrates the bones uh, of the skull and basically, those vibrations go straight to the inner ear and vibrates the inner ear fluids that we talked about. Wow. Yeah, so it allows ambient noise to still come in through the ear canal uh, while being able to perceive your music yeah, through bone vibrations. Oh. And in fact, we've actually utilized that. They have taken from the industry, which is the medical industry, for uh, what we call bone-anchored hearing aids. So we talked about uh, conductive hearing loss mm. earlier difficulties in uh, transmitting the sound waves, there are these bone-conducting uh, hearing aids which basically get attached to the skull. Okay. Yeah. Hold on, doctor. Yeah. We'll go sure. back yeah. on so air. We can ask that question That's again. Amazing, yeah, I'll, ask, man. I'll ask that question. That's yeah. amazing. Three, two... NKOTB, New Kids on the Block, hanging tough right here on The Big Show and The Big Show TV. It's a Wednesday morning. That's why we have Dr. Barry Tan with us. It's good morning, Dr. Wednesday. Uh, he is a ear, nose and throat surgeon at Glen Eagles Hospital. We've been having a, a, a great time uh, talking about hearing loss and getting to know um, what the ear yeah. is all about. Learn so much. Yeah. So once again, welcome, uh, Dr. Tan. Thank you, Glenn. So we were talking about uh, bone-conducting headphones. Are they less damaging to the ear than conventional earbuds? Uh, the short answer is no, they're not less uh, damaging. Uh, it really just depends on the volume that you uh, mm. apply to these headphones. But the interesting about these uh, bone-conducting headphones is that it stimulates the inner ear through bone vibrations. So they, you see it in the cyclist who mm. need to hear the environmental sounds coming in as they cycle. And that leaves the ear canal open for them. It's an open channel for them to hear through acoustic sound waves. 
but they want to listen to their music. So at the same time, they have these bone conductors attached to their jawbone. That's right. And basically, it's transmitting uh, vibrations through the skull to the inner ear for them to hear. And it actually takes reference from a type of hearing technology that we do have to treat conductive hearing loss. Oh. So earlier we mentioned about surgeries to correct the hearing mechanism. There are some types of uh, patients where, unfortunately, those ossicular prostheses don't uh, apply and can't work. And so we have to use a different type of hearing technology, which is essentially these bone-conducting implants. And they transmit vibrations through the skull to the inner ear, and you have to actually implant the screw into the skull bone. And it communicates nowadays by magnets. So you can go for a trial. You can actually put on these devices using uh, tension headbands. You know, you just wrap it around your head, Mm -hmm. and then it applies this tension to your skull bone, and then it vibrates the sound. And it's wireless, as as, uh, Aloysius mentioned. You can actually pair it with your handphone. You can actually listen to music. You can see and test how it works, even before you implant the patients. And so it basically restores the vibration mechanism but it bypasses the entire acoustic pathways which this run through air ear. vibrations. This is no longer requiring outer uh, air through mm-hmm. the ear canal. It basically is implanted behind the ear, implanted behind the ear okay. in the skull bone, and it communicates by means of a magnet. You stick it on when you want to listen to it, and then you take it off when you don't need to use it. So you're like multitasking. You can hear like your music and whatever, and also like everything around you. Right. Okay, so if if you have a norm for patients who who need this bone conducting uh, implants, they can't because they they have a problem with their normal ear transmission. But for bone conducting headphones that Aloysius asked about, yes, you you can. You can Uh. listen to your music while you can be cycling or you can be running. What's the difference between like that bone conducting headphones and just buying a really cheap, useless uh, pair of uh, earbuds? You okay. can also hear music and the surrounding. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it will just be uh, not so that's effective. National <laughs> noise cancellation. That's why. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cheaper. Okay. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we've run out of time. But before you go, uh, Doctor, what is the one thing you wish for Singaporeans to be more aware about hearing loss? I think uh, we need to understand that hearing loss is an entirely treatable disease. It's not necessarily uh, just a part of aging and you have to accept it. It's something which can be easily treated, whether it's with hearing aids. And don't be afraid about the modern hearing solutions, which if you have uh, exceeded the use of hearing aids, we should explore. We've talked about bone conduction implants. We've not talked about cochlear implants. But basically, when you've lost all your hearing, we can still restore your hearing back to a very good level using modern technologies. Some of them require surgery, and these surgeries nowadays are very safe. And so you shouldn't be afraid. And age is no longer... uh, a problem for us. The oldest patient that I've implanted personally is 86 years of age with a cochlear implant. The oldest I've been involved in in uh, overseas surgeries is 92 years of age. So age is no longer uh, a a problem for Mm -hmm. us when we're talking about uh, bone uh, with regards to cochlear implant surgeries. So there are always solutions which will allow you then to reconnect with the people around you and to, to continue in those meaningful relationships that you want. Right. Mm. Okay. Well, now you guys are all familiar with Dr. Barry Tan. Mm. If you have any questions, you know, you've always wanted to see a doctor regarding, you know, your hearing, go look for Dr. Tan. Okay. Thank you so much, doctor, for joining us this morning. Thank, Thank you, Glenn. Thank, Thank you, you. FD. 
Good Morning Doctor brought to you by Glen Eagles Hospital. We're on your side. It's about time to take charge of your health. Okay. Thank you for the session. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you.